Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. So um, <clears throat> going to uh, give a little bit of, uh, I mean, just this is all priesthood stuff. And so this message is a little bit of, of, uh, of how I stumbled upon this, this priesthood 17 years ago, how, uh, how we came to know more and more what the Word had to say about the priesthood. And uh, I want to give us some, some from the word of what the priesthood is in the New Testament, what the priesthood is going to be in the millennium, and what we have in our future. So I stumbled upon a, a prayer meeting in 2006. I was a, uh, a college student working at Best Buy. Um, I was uh, recently just come to know the Lord um, I had been following the Lord for a couple years, and uh, I was one of those guys who who was living out love love much because he's been forgiven much. And I was uh, starting a Bible study, and uh, I walked up to this guy in customer service and said, "Hey, man, I'm going to start a Bible study. Would you want to come?" And he said, "That sounds cool, but uh, my friend just started this prayer meeting in his living room. Would you want to come and check that out?" And I said, I mean, prayer is good. Tell me more. And he says, well, it's at, it's at 5 o'clock. Um, it's every day, so if you want to come to that, you're, you, know, you can totally come. It's in his living room. And uh, I, was, <clears throat> I was a supervisor um, at, that, at that time, and, and I was like, dude, there's no way I can make a 5 o'clock meeting because 5 o'clock is a prime retail hour, and I can't ever imagine getting off of work to go at 5 o'clock. And he said, no, it's at 5 a.m., it's like, oh, that one, that five o'clock. Let me pray about that, and I'll get back to you. So, uh, so uh, shortly after that, uh, got the information and, and ended up showing up to this quiet neighborhood just before 5 a.m. and knocked on a door hoping that it was the right house. And uh, the, the first face that I see is this bright-eyed, way too energetic for not 5 a.m. yet, young man, red-headed, and so much energy for that early in the morning, <clears throat> and, uh, and very huggy. Man, what a huggy guy that is. And uh, anyway, we, we're sitting around the living room. There's, I think, three or four of us, and uh, everyone's kind of, you know, talking and kind of uh, just shooting the breeze and it, it, it almost kind of like unin, uninstructed, unsaid, everyone's eyes kind of start drifting off to the side. <coughs> it was a um, open concept living room kitchen, so the, you know, the two spaces are right there, but everyone's eyes are drifting to the, to the microwave clock and right at five o'clock, all conversation stops and prayer starts. And right at five o'clock, the the prayer meeting started, and it was uh, it was prayers of God send revival, God save my friends, God do amazing things. You are you are the only one who can save us, and the only one who can help us. And um, 
I had never encountered a prayer meeting like that before. I, I was used to the the uh, the few the few people gathering before a church service on a Sunday morning, you know, a few a few minutes before the church service and praying for a little bit and then the church service started and that was kind of a prayer meeting or the other version where we kind of got together and then, you know, caught up, gave updates and then, you know, prayed prayed a little bit for each other's prayer requests, but I had never been a part of a prayer meeting like this. Number one, it was all 20-year-olds, everyone who was right around the same age as me. And, and I, was, uh, I was marked because it was, it was raw, it was rough, it was real. There was, there was uh, just a lot of things about it that was just so uh, marking, and it was uh, just totally captivating. I, I found my people, and I was like, oh, my gosh. These, these people are going for it. And they love Jesus, and they just look like regular people. I mean, they they're from all all different you know types of of uh, students or non students working in this, or, or you know different different fields or whatever. Um, everyone was just in there going for it. And as I was going to more and more of these prayer meetings, more people, I got to interact with different people and and see that there was this small community. This small tribe of people, all early 20s, just going for it, praying and like actually praying for the whole hour. That was that was different, and it was encouraging. And and um, one of the things that was uh, that was challenging to me was uh, in in the church that I that I uh, gave my life to the Lord in. Uh, I was the only 19 year old at that at that time, and then 20 and 21 year old, but. Um, uh, I was, uh, I felt like I was the most fiery person, very arrogant to say that, but I felt like I was the most fiery person. Obviously I had only been walking with the Lord for a couple of years, but, but in that prayer meeting and in, in, in the, in those prayer meetings, I was stirred and I was provoked to love the Lord more. I, I felt like you're not the only, you're not, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, Lord, there's only no one left who loves the Lord. Like, oh, God. And it's like, oh, no, that's not the case. Like, calm down. I know you love me, but I, I found this group of people who loved God, and, and the, the prayers that they were praying were, were earnest and, and desperate and full of faith and expectation, and I was hooked. I found uh, what I had been trying to fill my schedule with before. I was looking for a, a Bible study, a prayer meeting, a worship service, a teaching service, or whatever, nearly every day of the week that I could find because Sunday was just not enough. But I found something that I could, I could give myself to in an early morning prayer meeting. And so I found my rhythm. Also, it helped that, that it meant that I could be the first one to get to UTA and get the best parking spot, which was amazing because no one's up at you know 6 a.m. To, to go park at UTA. So... I went to prayer. My day started out great. I got a nap before class. I got the best parking spot. My life was great. It was, it was awesome. So I would, um, as a part of, of this new rhythm of, of how things were going in my life, one of the things that was going on during that time 
were the Thursday night Bible studies that, uh, that Brad was doing. And uh, we, we did Sermon on the Mount. We did a couple other topics. But one of them that, that really just captured me was when we started learning about the priesthood. Specifically because I had grown up in a, uh, in a uh, family that was uh, Catholic and, and we would go to, uh, to Mass weekly. But it had no influence or bearing on, on my life, on my lifestyle, on my decisions. I had a reverence for God. I knew you should not take the, the Lord's name in vain. I knew that like church was a holy place. But other than that, like it was, it was uh, very compartmentalized. It, it, I was not following the Lord, did not have a relationship with the Lord, but I did have a reverence for God. And I did have uh, at least some familiarity with the term priest. That's the, the main leader at the, at the local Catholic church. And so <clears throat> we began learning about what the, the priesthood uh, in the Bible described, and it was a little bit different. I think I'm a little hot on this mic. Is there a way we can turn it down just a little bit, please? Thank you. And so we, uh, we started looking at, at what the priesthood was in the Old Testament, and, and many things began to click. Many things began to make so much sense because I could see that there were uh, maybe roots or nuances of what I, what I had witnessed growing up of, of, uh, of the, the term priest and what was being expressed and, and what was uh, given in, in the biblical context, but, but it was, it was uh, so different from what I was, what I was learning. What really began to, to, uh, to uh, just rock my world was the, the New Testament priesthood, what the Bible began to say about the New Testament priesthood. And we're going to get into to that uh, a lot more here in just a little bit about what the New Testament priesthood was, that there would be a future priesthood, that there, that there is lots of Bible that talks about uh, the future of God's people ministering to him. We learned that, that the term minister or ministry, the first mention of that is actually in relationship of people ministering to the Lord and not people ministering to people. That was one of the, the, the key takeaways for me in, in the, the short couple years that I had been following the Lord. Ministry was always, you go street, evangel- uh, street evangelism, you go food pantry, you go do all these you know, outreach or whatever, and it's always people-to-people ministry, which is a very valid way to do ministry. But the first mention, and the one that, that, is, uh, t- that takes priority is our ministry to the Lord. When we come and serve God, I was uh, actually having a conversation with my daughters this morning during our sacred trust, and we were talking about what does it mean to minister to the Lord, and we were talking about serving. And we were bringing up the, the concept of what, what happens when you go to a restaurant and your server comes to you. They're checking up on you. They're asking, what is it that you want? Not, they don't come to you and say, you know, here's your food before asking you even what you want. They don't, they don't come in and, and give you all of, uh, they don't uh, come without asking first, right? They don't come without serving you first, seeing what you want. And so we were, we were talking about the concept of coming to the Lord in ministry and service is asking God, Lord, what do you want to do? Lord, what are you doing? What are your preferences? What is on your heart right now? What is on your mind? What do you think about this? Getting the Lord's heart for these things and, and ministering to him. We were talking about 
different examples in the word of, of what God says ministry is. We, we brought up Psalm 51, how, how David developed the idea that God's sacrifices are not those of, uh, uh, of the, the Old Testament uh, version with the blood of animals and that were, that were temporal in their uh, effectiveness for, for whatever the, the offering was, but, but the sacrifices that he desires are of a broken and a contrite heart, and these he's, he's yet to deny, that we come to the Lord in humility to humble ourselves before him. That's how we serve the Lord. We, we talked about Anna in Luke 2, about how, how this woman served God for decades through fasting and prayer, and God looked at that as a, as a ministry to him. He looked at that as a way that he was served. We began to, to learn about all of those things. We, we learned about Jesus as our high priest. I want to skip over, kind of skipping through the notes here. I'm on, uh, let's go to page three. I want to make sure that I, I get to this. Page three, uh, letter E. I don't know why I've never seen this before. So during this Isaiah 62 fast, um, came across a teaching from uh, IHOP KC. Dave Slyker just really unpacked the, the irrevocable gifting and calling of, of the people of Israel if you're unfamiliar with the Isaiah 62 fast, one of the, the main focuses that we had was praying for Israel. And uh, in this teaching that Dave Slyker was, was, was doing, he brought up the point that in, uh, in Exodus, as, uh, as Moses was about to receive the law, was about to receive the commandments, one of the things that, that happens is God gives Israel their their calling, their destiny, and their purpose. And, uh, and unfortunately, they rejected it. I want to read it here. It's Exodus 20. It says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Oh, let me, let me skip up to, to letter D. This, this kind of is the main point. Just kind of blew right past it. Let's go to uh, letter D right above that. Exodus 19.5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So here in Exodus 19. God tells the people of Israel, basically, you are going to be the ones who are responsible and privileged to steward my presence on the earth and be the ones who will serve as priests. So all of you children of Israel, it is your destiny, your plan, your purpose on the earth, a chosen people out of all the people, all the people, tribe, tongue, nations, Israel, it is your plan and purpose to be the priesthood, to be the priests. And you are to minister to me as priest, and it's your job to be the, the go-between between the rest of the earth, between the rest of the nations, as the go-between between God and the earth, in between was supposed to be the people of Israel, the priesthood, the holy nation, the kingdom of priests. 
a people that were set apart for this specific purpose. Next chapter, God comes down the mountain, gets blown up with fire, lightning, and thunder, and a loud, the sound of a trumpet. The mountain is smoking, and everyone is freaking out. Back to this verse that we were reading. They trembled and stood afar off. Don't blame them. I mean, that would, that would for sure give some reason for concern. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, Moses, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. So they had the right response of fear of the Lord, but then they also cast off their calling that God had given them to be the priesthood to draw near to them as a nation, as a, as a people. And so Moses is trying to reason with them and says, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you that you may not sin. This is the purpose for the, for the, the lightnings, the thunderings, the, the earthquake, the, the fire, the smoke, so that you will understand that God is holy, that there is a difference between things that are holy and unholy, so that you would approach him rightly. But this is not intended to scare you off that you, that you throw off your calling, that you throw off the gift that's been given to you. However, the people stood afar off, essentially saying, thanks but no thanks. But Moses drew near, and we know the, the, the relationship that Moses had. Pair that with the, the verse in Romans, which is actually talking... I mean, Romans 9, 10, 11, leading up into 12, is all about the, the subject of, of Israel and their salvation, eventual salvation. And it says that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So what that means is God gave the people of Israel this calling to be the holy nation, the priesthood, the go-between between the rest of the population of the earth and God, and though they forsook it, though they said no, it is still theirs to have. His, gift and call, his gifts and calling are irrevocable. So what that means is they still have this in their future. We've been learning a lot uh, about the millennium, what that's going to look like. And one of the things that we've been studying and uncovering is through the, through the uh, great shakings that are coming, through the time of the birth pains, through the time of the tribulation, the great tribulation, there will be a remnant. The Bible refers to them as those who survive or those uh, who, who obtain mercy. Those who were able to survive through the seals, trumpets, bowls, the wrath of God, those who were able to, to survive through the uh, through the temptation and the drawing of the harlot Babylon system rising in the earth, those who were able to survive the, uh, the onslaught that, uh, that the Antichrist is going to, to assemble and the, the, the craziness that's going to happen there, there will be a, a remnant specifically of, of Jews. And it is their purpose in the millennium that when Jesus returns and that he literally saves them, that he will also spiritually save them, and they will become his priests on the earth. We're going to get into that here in just a second. <coughs> Struggling with this cough. Hang on just a second. 
And so this is their future. Now, where do we fall into this? Here in letter F. One of the things that we began to, to uncover uh, specifically about our part to play is that we have an invitation to pray as well. We felt like the Lord was doing something special in our generation. We, we held on, clung to the, the verses like Isaiah 56, Isaiah 62, Matthew 21, other, other of these verses that are talking about God doing something in the earth and His intention that His people and His house would be called a house of prayer. And so as we were studying these things out, one of the things that we began to see was there are blessings that God gives to everyone. It says that he, he causes his rain to fall on the, the just and the unjust alike. So God gives, uh, others would refer to this like common grace. There are blessings that God gives to all, everyone on earth. That he gives us life, free will, sun, rain, etc., Unilaterally, regardless of our actions, regardless of how we approach him, those even that, that shake their fist at God, they still, get, they still get breath in their lungs because he's good, because he's a merciful God who is slow to anger, abounding in mercy and loving kindness. But then there are those blessings that he gives specifically to those who, who respond to him in faith. So in addition to all of those blessings, God also gives, this is where he takes on that, that characteristic as a good father. It's one of the things that I've been trying to, uh, to, to convince my, my, my daughters about is that God is a good father. Uh, I, I do my best to provide as a father and give good gifts, but it pales in comparison to the, the way that he does. And even the best father in the, with their best intentions will not measure up to, to our heavenly father. And he gives good gifts to, to his children. This is, this is who he is and how it is. He responds to us. We know the, the gifts that he gives us uh, as we respond in faith. The forgiveness of sins, salvation, eternal life. He gives us the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the promise for provision and spiritual gifts. He allows his delight to rest on us. I want to read a couple of these verses just to hammer the, the point home because I, I think sometimes we forget them. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Really drawing some of that priestly language that he called the, the people in uh, Exodus 19, the people of Israel. <coughs> that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I'm so thankful that he has a will and that it's his good pleasure to draw us near to him, that it's not reluctant, that it's not 
out of obligation that it's like, well, I saved you. You might as well come close to me, I guess. Like, it's like, oh, come close to me. You're treasured to me. Let my delight cover you. I adopted you as a, as a son. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I love this language. It's such, if, you've, if you've never prayed through that, I just want to invite you, set aside some time, give yourself a good amount of time and just pray each of those phrases and let them wash over you. They're so uh, just amazing prayer language for you to, to get into your vocabulary if you don't already have them. Philippians 2, 13, for, it, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So not, not only is it God working in you to, to, to give you the ideas, but he also gives us the power to do it. So he's, he says, hey, this is a really good idea. If you would do this, it would, it would bring you uh, health, wholeness, bring you pleasure because you'll be able to feel my smile on you. If you, ever, if you ever just have somebody that, that you just enjoy as, a, as someone in relationship with you, it could be a, a family member or spouse or friend or whatever, just having their, like, across the room, you guys make eyes at each other and their smile on you, that's just a good feeling, right? That same feeling is what God has for us, his smile to rest on us. So he tells us, in his will, that there are things that we can do that are good for us. And then not only does he say, these would be good, but unfortunately, you don't have the power to do them. So I guess it's just kind of a, a, a tease because these are good things, but you could never do them. No, instead, it says that he gives us those ideas. He, gives, he works in us to will and then also to do them. So he gives us the power to do them as well. So he tells us in his will what are the good things to do that will help us. And then he also empowers us by his spirit. What a good father. Psalm 16. This one has, has been one of the, the ones that I've been just really taking hold of. as we, I mean, even especially during that, that Isaiah 62 fast as we prayed for the presence of the Lord to to be in the room. Uh, it's later that, that I'm talking about, Psalm 16, uh, verse 11. But leading up to that, this is how, how the, the people of God are described. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, this is David speaking, but it's Scripture, so it's also Jesus speaking. So here's the Lord Think about this. Put your name there in, in, in the spot where it says uh, saints. As for the saints, insert name here. As for the, the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. If you've not put this in another one that you can just put in your, your prayers, Lord, I'm a saint on the earth. Am I an excellent one? Am I one in whom your delight is on? And just let him speak to you on that. That is just that is such a rich prayer time. So there's blessings for his people. But then we started to, to come across 
ways that he treated priests. Interestingly, as, as we began learning more about the priesthood, we also saw that there were ways that he treated people in general, ways that he treated believers, but then also ways that he specifically related to priests differently. This one blew me away when I found this, Jeremiah 31, 14. Again, giving you some more, more prayer language here if you, you want to get some, some uh, really just, oh, good prayer times in your future if you'll take these. Here's this verse, Jeremiah 31, 14. I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. So he says that he has not only goodness to give us, but also abundance. So I think about those two things on their own. It's, I'm like really excited when I get something good, but many times, like, uh, so I'm going to be real transparent with you here. Right after that fast, one of the things that that I did is I ordered uh, me and my wife uh, some filet mignon. Those things are good. Those things are juicy, right? But they're so little. They're not abundant. This says that God has goodness and abundance. So imagine your 72-ounce filet mignon. Come on. That thing is dangerous, right? So God has available, and it says here, He will satiate the soul. Satiate means to like saturate or to completely get rid of hunger or thirst, specifically thirst. If you're parched, the opposite of that is satiated, right? So I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance. So I think about uh, specifically the example in, in the Exodus uh, when, when God is really driving home the point that complaining is bad as we see the example of the children of Israel complaining they get the bread, the manna from heaven, and then they start complaining and saying, well, we don't have any meat. At least while we were slaves, we had meat. Let's go back to Egypt. So God says, you want meat? I'll give you some meat. So he sends the quail. And I remember doing the calculation one time, and it was an absurd amount. I, I have since uh, switched Bibles, upgraded Bibles, but the calculation was absurd, the amount of quail that he sent. It was like billions of quail because it tells you how high they went and for how long. And if you, if you measure the average size of a quail and fill that cubic space out, it's like billions of quail. If you get a handful of birds around, it's going to stink after a little bit just because of what they do. But, but imagine billions of quail all over the place, and this, you want meat? Here's your meat, right? So, so I think about that's one way that God provides in abundance, and it's kind of like, oh, you're complaining. Here's your billion of quail. But then I think about the way that he describes this, and he's saying, no, 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 I'm going to satisfy your soul, satiate your soul with goodness and with abundance. My people will be satisfied, says the Lord. And I'm like, oh, okay. So there's, there is a way to get abundance, and it's not... It's not through complaining, getting it the bad way, but there's a way as priests, as those who who come and minister to him, God says that he will satiate our souls with goodness and abundance. And I'm just thinking about that filet right now. Isaiah 56, we we read about, uh, about this passage as well. 
Midway through it says, Even them I'll bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Now, I think about sometimes, and, and again, just being transparent with you, there are times when I'm looking forward to coming to my prayer meetings, and there are times when I'm coming to my prayer meeting out of faith, and, and I'm coming to fulfill my, my duty because I'm going to be a man of my word. But I look at this verse here, and it says that God will give them joy, make them joyful in the house of prayer. I don't think I put it in here. I might not have. But the, the verse I was alluding to a second ago, Psalm 1611, says that in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I'm like, Lord, I want to be where you're at. Because in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And it says right here, in his house, he'll make them joyful. So I'm thinking, God's in his house. He's going to make us joyful. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I began looking at this and began seeing that there was a New Testament priesthood. Not only an Old Testament, not only future, but there was something that we could be doing now. Tell part of the story real quick. But as we were learning this these these Bible passages, there was a hunger in us and, and really kind of a stirring in us that we would see a modern-day expression. I don't know that we all saw that we were kind of stepping into it ourselves, but I know that we, we started praying it. So I remember one morning in the living room, in Brad's living room, we were praying and I was... Uh, standing behind the couch, and I was just praying, Lord, raise up a modern-day expression of the priesthood. And I remember hearing the Lord say, I'm so glad that, that it only took you 10 years to answer the call. Now, just real briefly, I'm, I'm not going to do the story justice, but real briefly, I said that uh, earlier that I had been raised in the Catholic Church, and I remember during one season of life, probably when I was around 12 years old, having this kind of weird stirring in my heart as a 12-year-old that uh, didn't uh, have any aspirations to be a man of the cloth. Uh, I remember being 12 years old and having this stirring in my heart, like, I think I'm supposed to be a priest. Right before that, though, as probably a 10 or 11-year-old, and I think even now, you know, with, with my girls at the age that they're at, as a 10 or 11-year-old, I remember being in probably fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that, thinking, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a husband and a father. Like, that's just one thing that I, like, really want to do. That's something admirable, something that I, I want to do. Sometime after that, I, I have this stirring in my heart, like, I think I'm supposed to be a priest. But I'm also considering this thing in my heart, this kind of anchor in my heart. When I grow up, I don't know what I'm going to be. I don't know if I'm going to be the, the baseball player or the, the policeman or the fireman like I want to be. But one thing I do know, I am going to be a husband and a father. And so I remember thinking, priests, they don't get married and they don't have kids, whatever. Throw that out the window. Little did I know that that was actually the Lord stirring a, a, uh, a calling in my heart and giving me a call, something that I would end up doing later. So I'm 22 years old, gripping the back of a couch in a, in a morning prayer meeting, at five something in the morning, and I'm saying, God, raise up a modern-day priesthood. And he says, I'm so glad it only took you 10 years to, to answer the call. Immediately, I, I, I had a flashback to, to that moment where I'm, I think I'm supposed to be a priest. That's weird. I want to have kids and be a husband. 
throw that out the window. And so I'm, I'm recognizing and reconciling God called me to do this. And so it was right around that time that Brad had started uh, making the transition to, um, to uh, quit his full-time job and, and start raising support as a, as a missionary, but not one that would go and do missions foreign or, or domestic, but one who would be a prayer missionary. And that was kind of a new idea to all of us. But it was something that we were watching unfold before us, and I knew that that was my calling. Eventually, the Lord would, would give me the, the timing that, that I could do it myself. And so uh, just to give a little bit of the timeline, 12 years old, the Lord calls me to be a priest. 22, I pray for a modern-day expression of the priesthood. And at 32, I, went, I made the transition out of a full-time teacher uh, in the public school to transition as a priest here at the prayer room. And so I, I joined full-time missionary staff here at the prayer room back in 2017 and made that transition. So, so now here I am having done this for six years in a full-time capacity, and we were learning about this in those early days. Now, what we were learning was that over and over there were references to this priesthood that God gave uh, that we're not talking about the Old Testament priesthood. Revelation 1.5 says this, To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory, or to be glory and dominion forever and ever. Hebrews 10 says it this way, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, this is priest language right here, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You don't draw near to the Lord unless you're a priest. And, and God has given us this, this access through his son to draw near to him. So as we were learning these things, we began to, to walk them out. Now, I want to give a little bit of information, and this is a little bit of a transition because this is uh, some of the things that I've, uh, I've been learning since. Now, I, I was... Aware that Ezekiel 40 through 48 was a very interesting uh, few chapters in the Bible. It gives so much detail. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I can remember when I was uh, real, real young in the Lord, I remember he hearing someone's testimony that they heard God's voice. And I remember being so provoked by that, like, wait, like people today hear God's voice? And so I remember locking myself in my room one time, uh, and I said, God, here I am. I'm not moving. We're stuck in this room together. I want to hear your voice. Somebody said they hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. Here I am. And so I remember just, I didn't know if an angel was going to appear. Like, I was, like, closing my eyes and, like, kind of peeking and stuff. Like, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But that still small voice, just in my, in my heart, I, I felt like kind of the whisper, not my own words, but I, I remember hearing, and I'm not going to say it just because this is private between me and the Lord, but he told me an address in, in, in the Bible, and uh, he says, Ezekiel, and then he says a chapter number, and then he gives me a verse. And I was like, Ezekiel? I know that's in the Bible, but is it a book in the Bible? I didn't, I didn't know. I was still, you know, new, new to, to Christianity. 
And so I open the, the table of contents, you know, the first couple of pages, and I'm going, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number. <gasps> Ezekiel's a book in the Bible, and I was flipping out. I was like, oh, my gosh, God spoke to me. And I'm like, if there is this many chapters in the Bible, I'm going to lose it right now. And I open up, and sure enough, and it happened to be in this, in this passage between 40 and 48. And um, uh, anyway, the, the verse that, that he gave me was right in the middle uh, of, of Ezekiel getting this prophecy of, of this millennial priesthood. And uh, at the time, I had no idea what it meant, but I didn't care. God spoke to me, and it was a real Bible verse, and that's all I needed. And uh, I remember going to, uh, to my pastor at the time at the uh, <clears throat> church that I had gave my life to the Lord in, I said, Pastor, I just got this Bible verse. I don't know anything about what it's talking about, but here, what does this mean? And he read it, and he was like, I don't know what that means either, but if God cares enough to give you a Bible verse, he sure cares about you or something like that. You know, he, he just gave me some encouragement, but I didn't care. God spoke to me, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Years later, I would come to understand this passage that God gave me talking specifically about the millennial priesthood, what would happen when Jesus reigns and rules on the earth and sets up his own, his own temple with his design and the priesthood is in, uh, in active service. So anyway, that just blew me away that even in the, the first time I heard the Lord's voice, it was about the priesthood. But anyway, um, so let's look here at um, the millennial priesthood. Uh, Earthly priesthood. Now, I want to make a couple of distinctions, and, and I'm just going to give you a couple of nuggets here, and then we'll, we'll close out. So we're, we're 10 minutes out. I, as I was reading, we, we began to figure out that there was a millennial priesthood. Now, that was kind of mind-blowing, that this age is going to end, Jesus comes back, and then there's an extra, like, I grew up on video games, so this is just how I think. I was like, there's a bonus level right after this? Like... That's wild. So there's this new thousand-year age that Jesus is now on the earth. Like, all I think about are, like, I, I use so many. So, like, when I, when I grew up playing Nintendo and stuff, there was this contraption that you could put in between the game cartridge called a Game Genie. And so you put the game on it, and then you put it in the Nintendo, and it gave you, like, all the cheat codes, right? So you could put, like, new characters in the game that weren't supposed to be there, you could have like infinity lives and all this, all these spectacular ways of cheating. But anyway, I, I thought of this and thought, oh my gosh, not only is there a bonus level, but Jesus is a playable character. Like he's going to be there on the earth. This is going to be wild. And so we began looking at, at all of these different Bible verses and, and we discovered that there is not only a millennial priesthood, but there's an earthly priesthood and there is a heavenly priesthood. Now there's some some mystery to this, but Ezekiel 44 gives us some detail. What ends up happening is that the Levites, the priesthood, or the, uh, the tribe of Israel that, that was designated the sons of Aaron to be the priests, because of the way they handled it, they still get to serve in the temple. However, they don't serve God himself. They get to serve the people. This is what Ezekiel 44.10 says. The Levites... And then God gives, you know, kind of what happened, how they mishandled things. But because of that, they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house 
and ministers of the house to minister to the people. They won't come near to me, though. It says this. They shall, they shall not come near to me to minister to me as a priest, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple. So, so he, he kind of lays out the Levites. So again, remember the, the remnant that, that we talked about a second ago, those who survive through the Great Tribulation. So these are, these are, are Jews with, with uh, natural bodies, not resurrected bodies. They've not tasted death. They, they narrowly escaped the, the Antichrist uh, 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 armies uh, hunting them down and things. But in the millennium, these, these people will be the ones who get to serve in that, that calling and that gift that God gave them in the very beginning to be the priests of God. And so in the millennium, they get to walk out that calling. The Levites specifically get to be gatekeepers. The priests, the Levites, specifically the sons of Zadok, who handled it differently. They shall come near to me to minister to me. So here's a little bit uh, degrees of, of, of separation here. The sons of Zadok will be able to minister directly to the Lord. They will be the ones who serve the Lord. They shall enter my sanctuary and they shall come near, uh, near my table to minister to me. Even kind of talking about that like waiter language, that server, like they're going to minister to God at his table. That's kind of wild, like taking Jesus' order at the table. I don't know if that's what it really means. but And they shall keep my charge. Ezekiel 44, giving some language here. A little bit later in the passage. As I was reading this, I, I was thinking, okay, wait, so if Jesus was the high priest and he gave the, the sacrifice once and for all, why is there even a priesthood in the millennium? Like, what does that even, like, how does that make sense? Read a little bit later in the chapter and it gives you specifics. 44, 23. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy. They shall stand as judges and judge according to my judgments. So right there, we've got a little bit of the function and the purpose of the priesthood, the earthly priesthood in the millennium. Number one, it's going to be run by Jews in, uh, with, with unresurrected, like earthly bodies. Um, they will have some distinction of who gets to do what. And it's for the purpose, going back to Exodus 19, of to show the difference, to know the, so that the people know the difference between holy and unholy, and they will serve as judges. So in the same way that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, gave him the, the wisdom, you set up captains over fifties and hundreds and thousands and all that, so that they can judge according to Jesus' statutes. They will be uh, kind of like uh, municipal judges and uh, uh, county judges and, you know, whatever circuit goes above that and state and, and national or whatever, Supreme Court. But they will serve as judges to also do that. So I'm like, okay, cool. This is great. Give a little bit of clarity. Okay. Now this is where I'm just thinking like, wow, Lord, this is so creative. And uh, worship leader, you can come on up. I didn't know if somebody was going to bust out behind the door behind me. The millennial heavenly priesthood. 
So as we began to read these things, began to give a little bit more of a clearer picture of what the priesthood is going to look like upstairs. This is Revelation uh, 7, large uh, passage here, but I, uh, I got some, I took some parts out, extracted some of it. It says this, so describing the, the setting here, behold a great multitude which no one can number, and I want to be specific to point this out here, all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes. So on earth, it's going to be specific to, to the Jews, to the Levites, and then even more specific to the sons of Zadok. Upstairs, though, in the, in the New Jerusalem, it will be from all over the world. So that means us Gentiles get to serve in this priesthood. Here's what it says. These are the ones who, get, who, uh, who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and do what? Serve him day and night in his temple. Later in Revelation 20, kind of similar to what's going on on the earth. Judgment was committed to them. This is uh, John describing, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And I saw those, this is again kind of similar to the, the Zadok kind of uh, distinction here those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we have this kind kind of broader sense priesthood. Then we also have a more narrow sense judgment leadership reigning and ruling with Christ. Here's the last one I want to get to and then we'll pray. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. All of those who are in Jesus when Jesus comes back, all of those who've died in Christ or died waiting for the Messiah, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So we have before us a gifting and a calling. We see that his gifting and calling is irrevocable and that we are to him a treasured possession that not with the blood of of animals, but the blood of his own son that he has given us access to draw near to him. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.